Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. So we've been in this series uh, called Being. <coughs> Looking at what it is for us as God's people to corporately together be the church. What is it to be the church? And we've used for this uh, as a backdrop Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And as I've been saying through this series, Paul is writing a letter uh, to a group of people he doesn't know, which is unusual uh, in comparison to most of his other letters because in other letters he's writing to churches that he's planted, people he's very familiar with, or individuals that he knows well. But here in this letter to the church in Rome, he's saying, my plan is to come to you and when I get there, you need to know what my message will be. In essence, what the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And if we are called to be the church, we've got to know, number one, what our message is, and number two, what our mission is. And we begin to discover a part of this uh, in uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. So today, uh, I want to talk about living a fruitful Christian life. What does it mean for us as a church if we understand our message, if we understand our mission, the gospel that we're called to represent? How does that play out? How, how do we become the church that God wants us to be? When I was driving out to Port Sorrell last Sunday... Uh, for our afternoon service, I was listening to ABC News Radio and there was a piece from uh, the BBC in the UK. And it was just kind of a documentary piece and they were talking about uh, statistics. And they actually got on to uh, the topic of religion. And they said in this last reporting period right through COVID, there had been a remarkable shift in people's attitudes towards religion. And, and one of the questions that was asked in this poll or this survey that was done on a regular basis, uh, historically, when the question was asked and questions around spirituality were asked, there was very, very key indicators that suggest that uh, faith was on the decline and that church attendance was generally ageing. So the church is getting older. For the first time in decades... This report actually showed something remarkably different to all of those previous uh, uh, statistical uh, analysis reports that had been done. One of the questions that was asked is, uh, have you in the last month prayed regularly? And so previously when that question was asked, it was the older demographic that would say, yes, I have. And increasingly the younger demographic was saying, no, I haven't. So for the first time in this latest reporting period through COVID, they had seen a flip in that demographic and 52% of under 35s said that they have prayed uh, regularly in the last month. And they, they're saying this is a statistical anom anomaly and as they drilled into that, uh, they found that 
there were two main things that contributed to that. One was just global uncertainty because of the pandemic. But more importantly than that, they said it was the easy accessibility because of the huge influx of online church content that young people were able to access. Now, this is a secular report. And so this is a great encouragement to the church that it's not that God is not popular. Perhaps the message of the church has been somewhat inaccessible. And in the message becoming accessible, young people are connecting with that message in a time of great uncertainty. And we are living continually in a time of great uncertainty. We are living in a time of incredible disruption globally. And I think there is a great opportunity for the church right now to speak into that and to be a voice of hope in hopelessness. Because all of the all of the things that have provided security for people or assurance for people or hope towards the future for people, all the things that they normally rely upon to bring stability have been taken away. And so people are more fearful than ever before, more anxious than ever before, more depressed than ever before. And we have the answer as the church. Amen. So it is, an op- it is a, a time of unprecedented opportunity. Romans 12 and 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. So again, what is it? What does it mean to live a fruitful Christian life? And I think just in the opening verse or two, we find three really important keys. In fact, I think we could break this whole passage down into two things. First of all, Paul talks about a healthy relationship with God. Uh, And then secondly, he talks about healthy involvement in his church, which is his body. So let's first of all talk about a healthy relationship with God. Paul begins these verses with the word therefore. And as I've said previously, when you see the word therefore, it's actually an outworking of the things that the writer has been talking about previously. And uh, it's the same here. So he says, therefore. So basically, as you look back on what Paul has said through his letter, he's saying, Because of who we are in Jesus, because of the richness of his goodness in our lives, because of everything that we have received in and through Jesus, 
This is how that needs to play out. On the basis of all that Christ has made possible for us, chapter 12 begins with this big, therefore. Therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your spiritual act of worship. In essence, he's saying this. Because you have been reconciled to God through the sacrifice of Jesus, you're no longer your own. You were bought at a price. In fact, Paul echoes this in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. Your body, your life belongs to him. And here today in Romans 12 and 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Excuse me. Now, as I said, there's a few things here just in this opening verse that we need to point out. And the first is that Paul talks about presenting ourselves... As a living sacrifice. Now, that's an interesting uh, terminology because living and sacrifice are almost opposites. And particularly in Old Testament language, when you talk about sacrifice, it always involves uh, people bringing a sacrifice, be it a, a lamb or a goat or a, um, you know, um, a ram or something or a bull. And this thing was sacrifice. It involved shedding of blood and it involved, ultimately, its death. And, 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 and Paul is saying, borrowing this imagery, he's saying, I want you to see yourselves as a living sacrifice. And what that means is this, that you need to live your lives in such a way before God that through the death of Jesus the life that you live in Him is a life lived not for your agenda, but a life lived for His glory. That your life is presented to Him as a sacrifice where He now by His Holy Spirit has access to every area of your life. Again, 1 Corinthians 6 and 20, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. He's saying present your body. So why do we do that? Well, in verse 1, he says, this is your spiritual act of worship. It's interesting. That's the NIV uh, rendering of that verse. This is your spiritual act of worship. In the King James, it says, this is your reasonable service. And I think when you combine those two, you get a really beautiful picture. Because to say this is your spiritual act of worship is also to say this is your reasonable service. It is totally, totally reasonable in the light of all that God has done for us. Our spiritual act of worship and our reasonable service goes hand in hand. That, that, that to serve God, to give ourselves to God as a living sacrifice is totally reasonable in the light of all that Jesus has done for us. And as we dig into this, 
I think we discover something really, really rich. And that is that our service to God is actually a necessary and valid expression of our worship of God. And let me take that thought one step further. I think we can say that our worship is incomplete if it does not include active expressions of service to God and service to others in Jesus' name. But unfortunately, today, when we use the word worship, we do it in a really restricted, limited context where we say, well, worship is what we do when we gather together on a Sunday morning and sing love songs to Jesus. But if that's all our worship life consists of, I would suggest it's not true worship. Because true worship must be expressed in service. And so what Paul is saying here is that which is spiritual is also reasonable and that which is worship is also service. And this leads me to the third thing that I find quite interesting here because Paul speaks of your body. <coughs> but he talks about the body in two ways. First of all, he talks about our physical body, the thing that we get around in, the thing that he says we must present to God as a living sacrifice. But then he speaks about another body that we are all incorporated into, which is the body of Christ, his church. Verse 4, just as each one of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. So the individual single body that we have has been presented to God as a living sacrifice and from that point it becomes incorporated into a new body which uh, in, 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 for every single one of us incorporated into the body of Jesus, we are totally indispensable to one another. And the picture he gives is that in the church, there are many members, but we all belong to each other. And it's a beautiful picture. And that brings me to the second main theme of these verses. So he's talked about what it is to live in a healthy relationship with God. And now he talks about a healthy involvement in his church, which is his body. And in verses 3 to 8, he talks about the exercise of spiritual gifts. And let me make this very, very clear from the outset. The exercise of spiritual gifts in the life of the church is not uh, intended to somehow make you feel good about yourself. And it's not intended to make you somehow feel superior to others. The exercise of spiritual gifts in the life of the church has one purpose and one purpose only. It is quite simply to build one another up and to build the church. And it begins with a warning in verse 3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment. Now, there are probably two main reasons why Paul has said this. And perhaps the first reason is that in light of what he's just talked about earlier in his letter, he might be saying, listen, guys, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Yes, I've just told you about everything that you have in Jesus, that you are secure in your relationship with God. You are in right standing before God. 
Uh, you are declared righteous because of all that Jesus has done for you. But don't allow that to give you a swelled head. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. And certainly don't think of it in terms of, well, you know, I don't need to offer myself to God as a living sacrifice because I'm now in right standing with him through Jesus I'm declared righteous legally. That means I'm in a right relationship with God and I don't need to go any further than that. I don't need to present myself as a living sacrifice as part of my spiritual and reasonable service. But that's not true. Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Every single one of us needs to be willing to present ourselves to God in this way. But I think the more obvious reason that he states this is that he's using it as a preface to where he's going next. Verse 3, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Grab a hold of that. We who are many... Form one body and each member belongs to all the others. So don't think of yourself more highly than you want. Don't think that you think you can go it alone because you can't. Don't think that you don't need others because you do. Because others need you and you need others. Don't think of yourself so highly that you think you can grow spiritually without others because you can't. Don't think of yourself so highly that you think you can express reasonable acts of service with others because you can't. Because friends, God is not just in the business of saving individuals. Yes, that's where the journey starts. He wonderfully and mercifully saves us in and through Jesus. But from there, he then incorporates us into his body, the church. And in verse 6, he says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. <clears throat> Friends, there is this sense of general grace that God brings into our lives, where God works in and through us, but then there are particular graces or gifts that he gives to individuals. And the great thing is, we're all so incredibly different. You're different I'm different. We all have different gifts. And all believers, by the grace of God, are gifted by the Spirit and share the amazing privilege involved in building up others in faith and bringing blessing into their lives and being the very vessel that God uses to bring the hope of the gospel to the world around us. Can I hear an amen this morning? So the Bible's really clear. You and I are all individually gifted in some way. You have a gift. But it's also very clear about our attitude towards those gifts. First of all, it tells us that we are to desire spiritual gifts. And Paul says this when he's writing to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 14.1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. But then there's a qualification of that statement in verse 12. Since you are eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in gifts that build up the church. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, desire spiritual gifts, but desire the gifts that are just going to be a source of blessing to others. 
a, 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 something that is going to bring a benefit to the life of other people. And here's the thing. We have to desire that. I desire to be a blessing. We can't just sit around passively hoping that suddenly, somehow, unintentionally, gifts will begin to develop. We have to desire to be a blessing to others. And here's a really simple definition of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are those abilities which God gives to his people to enable the church to fulfill its task. To enable us to be the church that God's called us to be. Verse, uh, Ephesians 4 and verse 6. To each one of us, grace or gifts have been given as Christ apportioned it. So you've received a gift that Jesus has given to you specifically. Which means every one of us in this building this morning, if we are followers of Christ, we have a gift, a deposit in our lives. But we've got to desire them first of all. Secondly, we desire them. Then we've got to discover them. Discover what it is that God has wired you to do. How do you discover them? Well, you discover them within the corporate body of the church. You do not discover your gift in isolation. When Paul's writing to the young pastor Timothy, 1 Timothy 4 and 14, he says, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Now, let's just unpack that imagery. When the elders laid hands on them, it wasn't some transfer of power. It wasn't some mystical power they possessed that came down through their arms into the person. When the elders are laying their hands on them, what they are doing is actually affirming that you are gifted of God and we recognize that gifting and calling and we affirm that. You've been called and equipped for a purpose that God has set you apart for. So don't neglect the gift. And we discover those gifts in the context of his church. There's an occasion in Acts chapter 6 where the needs of the congregation and specifically in this occasion, the needs of the widows was becoming burdensome to the apostles. So they set apart men to take care of the needs of the widows. And you think, well, what kind of gifting does that involve? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us. But what it does tell us in Acts 6 and 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And again, in the context of the local church, they saw the need, they identified the people who were gifted to meet that need and whatever gift mix they had, they said, you are the guys that have been appointed and anointed to carry out this task in the life of the church community. And uh, here's the thing, guys, if you are inclined to spend hideous amounts of money going to conferences to try and somehow discover your spiritual gift, can I save you a lot of money by just giving you one encouragement? Get in and start serving in the life of the church and you'll very quickly discover what your spiritual gift is. And this is the way we discover our gifts, just by saying, God, here I am, I'm available to you. And I don't think we ever really discover our gift just waiting around for some revelation word from God to give clarity, to give strategy. Now, he might give you some pointers. Other people, and this is what's something so beautiful about the body of Christ, other people often see the gifts within us before we see them within ourselves. 
and we, we start to serve in the life of the community and we begin to discover where our fit is and what our gift is that is going to enrich others and build the church. So we are to desire spiritual gifts. We are to discover spiritual gifts. And then thirdly, we are to develop those gifts. Again, Paul writing to Timothy 2, Timothy 1 and 6. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, to develop the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Stir up the gift that's within you, Paul said to Timothy. Don't neglect the gift you have, he also said earlier to him. Because, friends, we can neglect our gift. And if we neglect our gift, it's being lost. Not that you lose the gift, but the effect of the gift is being lost to the body of Christ and to the community. If you neglect it, we don't receive the benefit of it. So here's the question then. What do we do with our gifts? Well, sadly, here's what some people do. Number one, they ignore their gift. They say, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to be enriching other people's lives and contributing to the overall work of God. I'm happy to be a Christian. I'm happy to turn up every Sunday. I'll stay in my corner. You stay in my corner. I'll shake hands. I'll have a coffee. I'll talk about the weather. I'll go home and get on about my week and my other responsibilities. But that's all I want to do. And let me say really, really directly this morning, the single most rewarding and fulfilling thing in life is knowing that you have been a source of blessing to others. The single most rewarding and fulfilling thing in life is knowing that God has used you in a significant way just to be a blessing, just to be a source of encouragement, to be a source of hope, to to, to just impact somebody else's life in the name of Jesus. Friends, God wants to use you in a significant way. That's why you're on the face of this planet. But we've got to engage in that calling. And, and I don't want you to miss out on that fulfillment of knowing, wow, I look back and how God used me in that way. And just to marvel at that and to, to, to receive the blessing and the fulfillment and the purpose that comes with that. So sadly, some people ignore their gift. Opposite to that, sometimes some people parade their gift. And they recognize the call of God upon their life and suddenly it becomes all about them. And I just want everybody to see how, how, how good I am, that God has blessed me in this way, that I'm a blessing to others. And it and it, and it doesn't become about others. It becomes about the admiration that they receive. And unfortunately, there is a lot of that that goes on in the wider church today. People make their gift about themselves, not about others. They're not interested in being a source of blessing to others. They're uh, more interested in being recognized and being seen. Thirdly, sometimes some people p- compare their gifts And they say, well, uh, my gift is better than your gift. But I actually think uh, it's the opposite of that that is more true, where people go, well, my gift is nowhere near as good as your gift. But friends, the picture that Paul gives us, not just here in Romans, but also in Corinthians, is that the church is a body with many members and each one of us are totally dependent upon each other. So what do we do with our gift? We don't ignore our gift. We don't parade our gift. And we don't compare our gift to others. So what do we do? Well, there's a great piece of advice 
use your gift. Just use your gift. That's what he says in verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift of prophesying, let, it use, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So what Paul is simply saying there is this. Whatever gift you have, use it. And that means we've got to get busy in the church and, and just start finding opportunities to serve. I talked about COVID statistics in the UK and that wonderful statistic that says the younger generation are praying like never before. How cool is that? There's another really, really sad statistic, statistic that's come out uh, in regards to church life globally. And that's when churches have reopened. Volunteerism has really, really dipped and churches are struggling to engage their congregations in acts of service and volunteering. And I want to say, not unfairly, that's been true of us as well as a church. That coming out of lockdown, we've got some huge holes in areas of service and ministry. And listen, I understand we are all exhausted. We are mentally and emotionally every day having to deal with a news feed that continues to remind us of the uncertain times in which we're living. And so we are exhausted. But what I want to encourage us again with is the fact that like never before, the church has an incredible opportunity to shine the light of Jesus well. And I encourage you. You know, uh, we're going to start having, before the end of the year, we'll have an opportunity, many opportunities to really sign up to be serving, uh, both within our church, but also in the community around us. I'm going to create a service directory that gives you an understanding of various opportunities that we can get in and be a source of blessing to others, uh, various opportunities of serving. And here's the challenge that I want to put out there this morning, and I'll just allow you to ruminate on this over the next coming months. Every single one of us has the same amount of time. We have 168 hours in a week. My challenge to you as a member of the body of Christ, you are a member. We are totally indispensable to one another, which means if you're not engaged, the body is weaker. In 168 hours, can you find two hours a week to serve? And we have some wonderful volunteers in this church. God bless you. Thank you for your commitment. Thank you that, you know, we are getting this and we are functioning well together. Many opportunities of people serving in the community. And we want to help you understand what some of those opportunities are that you can get on board with. But in the 168 hours a week, can you find two hours a week to give to God reasonable acts of service and ministry? And worship in that way. Because I, I guarantee if we find another hundred people in the life of this church who can say, I can give you two hours a week, ah, there is so much that we could accomplish. Two hours a week, can we give that? I, I think that's a reasonable act of service. And so we're going to be unpacking that as we go. And uh, next week, I'm actually going to start a series called Living with a Question Mark. How do we live in uncertain times? Because sometimes when there is a big question mark over all that's going on in the world around us, sometimes we do want to retreat. But it's time for the people of God not to retreat, but to say there's an opportunity here. 
and in times of uncertainty. We want to live with that call of God burning before us that says, no, we live in certain times because our God has a timetable for humanity. And we're going to continue about his work. And we're going to take advantage of the opportunities when there is uncertainty to provide hope, to provide certainty, to provide an eternal hope to the world around us. And so Paul says, whatever gift you have, use it. And young people in particular, I say this to you. I think I said it at youth camp. You've got to know, we, we want this church not to have some kind of bar up here that says, well, the bar up here is so high to to enter ministry or service. No, we want to say, get in and serve and you will find opportunities. Some of them might fit. We've got to give you room to fail. We're not scared of failure. Give it a go. And as you get in and just start developing a heart to serve as you eagerly desire spiritual gifts, God will open up those avenues of opportunity and very, very quickly you will discover where you were gifted. Other people will encourage you where you were gifted. And so, you know, we're all in this together. We are all indispensable to one another. You know, when, the, when we planted this church, uh, I came out of 15 years of itinerant ministry, so I was in a different church every Sunday. Uh, I only needed a dozen sermons, and that kept me going. They were all really, really good sermons, and they were very well polished. And then suddenly, when God called us to plant a church, I'm thinking, I've got to preach to the same people every Sunday. God help me. And I never ever considered that at that point I was a preacher or a teacher or a communicator. Oh, well, I suppose a communicator because that's what I've been doing. But I'm thinking, wow, I've got to come up with a new sermon every week. And yet now it's one of the greatest passions of my life. I love sitting down and, and crafting a message. And, and, and this is the thing. We discover that as we get in and start serving. When I started playing the violin when I was a kid... Um, I used to, I think from the ages of 10 through to 16, I used to do 5am violin practice. Um, we, had a, um, we had a dog that used to, when I started my violin practice at 5am, it used to race as far as it could right down to the back fence and stand there and howl. Well, a few years later, um, it used to curl up at my feet and go to sleep every time I practiced. So either I was getting better or it was getting deafer, I'm not sure which. But I trust I was getting better. Because we've got to hone that gift. As Paul said, stir up the gift, develop the gift. So don't be frightened of that, but let's get in and be a part of this journey together. And we want you to start serving. Serve how God has wired you to serve. Another thing that we're going to be rolling out next month, um, we want to be intentionally connecting people with one another just for encouragement and for accountability and particularly older mature Christians with younger developing Christians and my heart is to see everybody who wants somebody to be just meeting with them and championing them and encouraging them in life and faith that everyone has that opportunity so that will be one area of service that once a month you're just meeting with a young person I'm talking to the older people right now and you're asking them these kinds of questions. How are you doing with Jesus? How are you growing in your faith? How are you connecting with other people? And a big one, how are you serving? What are you giving to God as your reasonable act of service in the life of the church? And I want to see those relationships just rolled out. I'm trying to avoid the word mentoring because that sounds kind of too heavy and too deliberate. I want it to be this relational and I want to just us to be championing each other in faith and in life and to make it very organic, very relational. And once a month, I'm just 
meeting with somebody who just fills my tank. Are we on board with that? You've all gone very quiet this morning, so I'll wrap this up and the team can come back. (laughs) So Paul says we present our lives to God as a living sacrifice. As you present your body to God, he then incorporates you into the corporate body, the church, and you're just one part of that body and you're dependent upon all the other parts. And it is a beautiful picture of the church that God uses us together to bring enrichment and blessing and benefit to others. And that's my challenge to all of us this morning. In these times of incredible uncertainty, let us not withdraw. And again, we're all feeling it. We're all feeling the pressures of the uncertainty. We're all feeling exhausted emotionally. We're all feeling uh, exhausted mentally, just trying to process everything that comes at us on a day-by-day basis. But let's be refreshed in God personally and let us encourage one another corporately and let us get on with the mission that God has called us to. Can I hear an amen this morning? Let me pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you so much, God, that you have, number one, you've called us to yourself through the wonderful love and grace and sacrifice of Jesus. But you've also called us to be a part of a larger body, your church. Men and women, boys and girls, working together to form one body, your church, of which Jesus is the head. And I thank you, God, that you have, you have gifted us to work together. You've called us to serve together. You have called us, God, to enrich one another that together mutually dependent upon one another we would be your means of fruitfulness and blessing in the world around us and I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would make this so real for us in the times in which we live that we would live confidently as a people committed to your body, committed to one another, committed to that message which has been entrusted to us, the message of hope that can be found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Father, help us to be the church that you've called us to be, we pray.